we profess that Jesus was fully human and fully what? God. If Jesus is fully human and fully divine, that means that he experienced everything that we experience except for sin. Jesus had every human experience that we have. And one of the experiences he had was thirst. Welcome to everybody who's here this morning, especially to our catechumen, Zachariah, to everyone who's joining us online. I confess that this passage of the Samaritan woman is one of my favorites in the gospel, and that I find the more a gospel passage stirs me, and the more I love it, the harder it is to preach about. So I'm praying for you as I preach. Please pray for me as you listen. There's so much going on in this gospel and in these readings. Moses strikes this rock and water comes out. And then in the psalm, we're told that God is a rock. And then St. Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is poured out like a liquid. And then Jesus provides this water for a woman. There's much more going on here than you can address in an eight-minute homily. But perhaps what is most remarkable happens just at the beginning of the gospel, when Jesus says to this woman, give me a drink. We know that we have a physical thirst, and we know what this physical thirst is like. We're so used to it that sometimes we don't even think about it. We're just, we just know. If you're thirsty, get something to drink. If you work out, you'll be thirsty. If you're in the desert, you'll be thirsty. If you don't hydrate enough, you will be thirsty. But we also have an interior thirst that we can silence, but that is much stronger than our physical thirst. It is a thirst to be known and completely loved as we are, and to give ourselves fully, not in use and not for pleasure, but in total self-sacrificing love. And until we're being loved that way, and until we're loving that way, we remain restless and thirsty. And it seems like Jesus, when he says, give me a drink, is talking to this woman about that kind of thirst. Because if he's just talking about physical thirst, it's easy enough for him to be satisfied. She has a bucket, and while there are cultural conditions, Jews not using what Samaritans used, that might prevent her from giving him this water, there's nothing physical that's preventing it. She can just lower her jar, get the water, and give it to Jesus. But instead she asks, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for something to drink? And maybe we ask something like this unconsciously to God a lot of the time. God, in some mysterious way, is asking us 
for a drink, and we say, how can you, God, truly God and truly human, ask me for anything? I look like this, and I don't like the way that I look. I've experienced this in my past. I wish I hadn't made this decision in my life, and I don't know where I'm going. We can provide all sorts of reasons, an infinite number of reasons, why we don't think God would ask us for a drink. But what God thirsts for, most of all, is our love. I think a lot of times, people think that the essence of Christianity, these are people who come to church, who don't come to church, who believe and don't believe, that the essence of Christianity is to get people to behave the right way. I don't know if you've ever met anybody who behaves the right way all the time. I haven't met any yet. And it would seem that God wants something more than that. Because if God wanted us just to do the right thing all of the time, he had a very easy out. He could have just made robots. Nice Futurama robots that are programmed, have no emotions, do whatever you want them to do at any time. They'll do exactly what you want. They'll never cause any problems. There won't be human relationship issues. There won't be anger. There won't be war. And we do the right thing all the time. So if God wants us mainly to just do the right thing all of the time, outwardly, why didn't he do that? He must want something more than good deed robots. He wants people who love him. And he thirsts for us. The way we can console him now, during Lent, the way we can console him on the cross, what is most precious to Jesus, what he thirsts for most, is not everything we've gotten right. It's not the things that make us say, I'm a pretty good person. What he wants and what he loves most is our pain, and our shame, and our sin, our failure, and our weakness, the things about which we are most ashamed and most embarrassed are what Jesus thirsts for. Think about this Samaritan woman, kicked out of five houses by five different men and living with a sixth. Do you think she was ever listened to? Do you think she was ever really received and not just looked at for the use that she could provide? Was she ever really known before she met the gaze of Jesus? Every detail in our lives matters to God, including and especially our wounds and our pain. And every detail in Scripture matters, too. It's amazing that right at the beginning of this gospel, John tells us when this happened. It was about noon. Do you remember what time you woke up yesterday? 
I don't remember what time I woke up yesterday. But this event made such an impression on this Samaritan woman and on the disciples that 60 years after Jesus rose from the dead, they thought to write this down. It was about noon. And 2,000 years later, we still know what time this happened. It was about noon. And at that time, noon, Jesus asked this woman, give me a drink. In a couple of weeks, on Good Friday, we're going to read from John's Gospel again. And John is going to tell us something about the time Jesus got on the cross. What time do you think John is going to say Jesus got on the cross? At noon. And what does Jesus say while he's on the cross? I thirst. Jesus says, the Father seeks such people to worship him. We worship God in offering love to our neighbor, but first and foremost in offering ourselves to God. Jesus does something really interesting here that's challenging to us and against all of our inclinations. He loves this woman. He looks at her. He knows her completely, but he doesn't tell her that everything in her life is fine. He wants her wounds and her brokenness, but he says to her, go and sin no more. He acknowledges that part of what he loves about her and part of what he has come to transform isn't just a generic brokenness, but is something actually sinful. And when this woman leaves, she knows that she has to leave, making changes in her life. Jesus does this perfectly, but we're fallen, and it's very hard to encounter other people and to do this in the right way. But it is what Jesus calls us to. So wherever we are, if we have or we haven't offered our life, our sin, our brokenness over to Jesus— how does it start? What can we do? It's a process, and it takes a long time. It can happen through the sacrament of reconciliation, but we can start right here, right now, just by saying this prayer to Jesus. I'm yours. Why don't you just say it? I'm yours. You can say it anytime. You can say it during the Eucharistic prayer. You can say it when you're receiving communion. You can say it during the week when you're frustrated with your classmates or with the people you work with. You can say it when you're going to sleep at night and when you wake up in the morning, Jesus, I'm yours. And not just the things we like, but everything about us. Jesus, because he thirsts and he knows our infinite thirst, feeds us with his body and his blood. And when we receive the Eucharist, our infinite thirst meets the infinite thirst of Jesus the Lord.